This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 239, and I'm talking with Ashley Higginson. Ashley is a former steeplechaser. She competed in the 2012 and 2016 Olympic trials in the steeplechase. In 2012, she placed fourth. And then in 2013, she went on to make the World Championships team by getting second at the USATF Outdoor National Championships in the steeplechase. In 2016, she placed ninth at the Olympic trials with all of her hopes on making that 2016. She then retired from professional running to begin her career as a lawyer. Ashley trained competitively and raced competitively while she was in law school, and now she is a full-time lawyer and just ran in the 2020 Olympic trials her second marathon to date. She qualified for that marathon running a 243.49 at the Grand Rapids Marathon, which she ran alongside her husband. And when Ashley was training professionally, she was sponsored by Saucony. One of the pieces of this conversation that I really loved was her talking about being coached by Frank Gagliano a legendary coach that we've heard about on this podcast in the past. And I also just loved hearing about Ashley's mentality of making the decision to move on and how to step into that next phase of life. Still loving running, still passionate about running, but the focus is just a little bit different. All right, friends, this podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Please consider checking out our other shows in the network, the Up and Running podcast, hosted by Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley. They are bringing you all the news in elite and professional distance running, as well as really great one-on-one interviews with athletes as well. The other podcast in the network is the Illuminate podcast, a podcast that I co-host. And this past week, I just hosted a conversation with Sarah and Mark Canny. Sarah is the founder of Rise Run Retreat. And she connects women through running and empowers them. And Mark has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And we got to talk all about encouragement-based parenting over there on the Illuminate podcast this week. It's a great conversation. If you're someone that's home with your kids right now, way more than you are normally, this episode will empower you and you will walk away with tangible ideas for empowering your relationship with your kids. And while you're at it, if you are enjoying any of these shows in the network, one of the best ways you can help us out right now is leaving a rating and review and subscribing to those shows. Those are some of the best ways potential new listeners can find us as well as just sharing it on your social media and texting a link to your friends. Just that organic word of mouth is super helpful in helping us grow these shows. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you all really enjoy this conversation with Ashley Higginson. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to have Ashley Higginson on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. Well, what's going on? You're in Michigan and we're all quarantined at home. So (laughs) tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. 
Um, yeah, so it's been pretty crazy, as I'm sure it is for everyone. We're really lucky that um, we we moved to Michigan just a couple months ago, but we just moved into our house, um, like literally two or three weeks before the quarantine. So we're really thankful that we're not still stuck in a pretty small apartment. <laughs> um but uh, Liam, my husband, and I are both working from home. Um, I work at a law firm, so uh, it's been actually pretty crazy with, obviously, all the changes to the law at, like, a rampant pace. Um, so there's been lots of questions and hopefully some good answers, but mostly just kind of guesses as to, like, what the right thing to do is right now. Um, and then my husband's also working from home. He works for the university here, Michigan State. So we've been really fortunate. Um, Obviously, a lot of people aren't as fortunate. And it's been kind of just crazy to be watching the news. Um, So hopefully this all changes soon. Yeah, I know. I turned the news on this morning. I've been kind of trying to avoid it some days, but also like, don't want to avoid it because I want to be educated, you know? Um, Yeah. It's like, how much do I how much do I watch and how much do I not watch just because I know too much isn't good for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think right now it's just sort of a lesson in patience for all of us, unfortunately. Um, and like trusting that the people who know what they're doing way more than I do are doing the right thing. So what kind of law do you do? Um, so I kind of am a little bit of a cross of two areas. Um, so employment law, just kind of your run of the mill employment questions like litigation and harassment and discrimination complaints, um, and things like that. But then also the reason I moved out here for this job was, uh, our firm represents a lot of higher ed institutions and I really wanted to work in higher ed and title nine. So, um, that's sort of the other area of my practice is a lot of title nine, um, investigations and litigation, which I really love. Man, that is so great that you guys already moved. I mean, I, I was thinking about that because I was like running by people's houses that are on the market this morning. I'm like, what's happening there? Are these yeah. are these things still happening? I'm sure. I mean, every industry is in this weird position right now, but that would be incredibly difficult to try to pull off a move right now. I know. I don't think anyone is like willing to do an inspection right now. I mean, here it's probably not an essential job, so you can't get an inspection. Yeah, it's been, we're really lucky with all that. And hopefully on the other end of this, just like the market and stuff is okay for other people. So yeah. Is Michigan shelter in place as well? Yes. Um, So we are on, we had a order through the 13th, um, which I assume is going to get pushed back more. Um, so we've we've been home now for three weeks anyway, uh, just because we're closed before the shelter in place even was ordered. That's good. And um, yeah, so I, I imagine like at least another two weeks after April 13th, but I guess we'll see. What about you guys? Yeah, we were shelter in place. We, um, we're just, yeah, we've been hunkered down for like two and a half weeks and Um, I'm just like my husband is the only person going to the grocery store and picking up carry out. Do you guys have like a designated person? (laughs) No, I, I enjoy the the respite of going out. I, uh, we both have been going out, but we're, uh, we live in right near my in-laws now. So we've been going shopping for my both sets of in-laws, um, as well. So it's been kind of, at least we're designated for them. (laughs) Are you just like porch dropping groceries? (laughs) 
<laughs> we, I, I will admit, have given in, although it's more expensive, to like Whole Foods for almost all our groceries oh, just because it's, it. it's so calm in there. And I, um, I don't know, it's just been kind of a little bit more relaxing. And I think they're doing a really great job of kind of instilling the right protocols. Obviously, that's easier to do when you have kind of a higher priced item and not as many people can afford it. But um, we're, we're taking advantage of that privilege right now because it has been a little nice. <laughs> yeah, we're going to the store my husband's been going to is Fresh Time, which is. A high- oh, I love Fresh Time. We yeah. have that here. Yeah, yeah, it's like I'm like I feel like it'll just be a little bit more calm there than Kroger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how we have been about. And I mean, and there is just usually stuff there that are, is gone at Meyer, so yeah, um, it's just been kind of the best bet for us. Well, Ashley, let's um, let's talk running and life and being sure. a lawyer and yeah, a wife and a dog mom and all those good things. <laughs> um, that sounds great. Yeah, so let's get a little bit of an intro to you, Ashley. Um, a good long career in steeplechase, I know, but mm-hmm. um, kind of share with us how you got into the sport of running and making your way to Princeton and running there. Sure. So I guess running for me started pretty young, but um, in soccer. So I think even as early as like fifth or sixth grade when I was playing soccer, I kind of enjoyed running more than other people. Um, and I definitely wanted to always win like at the presidential challenge in the mile. (laughs) Um, so things like that kind of first take me off to the idea that I would love running, but, um, soccer was definitely my first passion, but moving into high school, I started my career in, in my freshman year as a high school soccer player, but got to know the cross country coach um, because he would be my track coach. And I um, sort of started to getting getting to know the girls during winter track and realized how far behind I was after a season of soccer. Um, And I just immediately felt like I had met sort of my people. Um, The girls were just so supportive and it was kind of an immediate set of friends that I felt were like-minded to me. And by sophomore year, I was obviously running cross country and kind of fell in love with the sport of running. Um, Our team was also really competitive and good. So it was nice to be on a team that kind of created a path for me to see how you commit to running as a lifestyle and as a sort of important part of your day-to-day um, re- regimen or rituals. Um, and so I became kind of a two-miler. That was my probably my best event in high school um, and was really fortunate through my high school career to win, you know, state championships. And um, our team won some national championships as a relay, and I was able to win some national championships. So definitely um, high school became sort of more than I could have ever imagined. Um, I went, I grew up in New Jersey and I uh, went to Colts Neck High School. Um, so I had a male teammate who was equally as successful during that time period, as well as multiple female athletes that were really successful and went on to run it in college and things like that. Um, and I think it just, you know, sort of set the stage for me that running was something I wanted in my life long term. Um, it also kind of made me realize I had an opportunity to utilize running to kind of provide myself with a chance at something like a great college that maybe wouldn't have happened as naturally for me without it. Um, So I 
you know, got the opportunity to visit a bunch of schools and just really fell in love with Princeton um, and the coach there because uh, I went from my Colts neck coach, coach Jim Schlenz, who, you know, just like really helped me find passion in running and kind of got me sort of into a system where I knew how I could be successful. Whereas my college coach, Peter has, um, he was a coach for 40 years. He was the first women's coach at Princeton. Um, and he just recently retired and he just kind of had the whole history behind him and kind of this program behind him that I got really excited about and wanted to be a part of. Um, so going to Princeton was a complete dream come true. And um, moving there, I kind of moved from being a two miler and a potential 5k runner as my, as Peter wanted me to be, um, and sort of convinced him by my sophomore year that I should try the steeple. Uh, because when I started the steeple, it was really still new. I mean, mm -hmm. it was 2008 when I asked him to do the steeple think, um, or 2009, I guess. Um, and that was the first year it was ever even in the Olympics. So I kind of fell in love with what I was watching. And I mean, for me, it was kind of cool to see people like Jenny, um, and seeing them kind of move from being like an athlete and a, and a track athlete in other events to this people was really just something that I thought I possessed too and wanted to try um I remember watching I guess on tv I was watching whether it was the Olympics or like the world championships the U.S. girls running and someone stated like the I don't know the commentator said you know this is an event for like ex-soccer players and so mm. a bell like rang off in my head <laughs> and I was committed from that point forward so um yeah so then we just started to try to figure out how to train for the steeple. <laughs> yeah, ex-soccer play players and like gymnasts, I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nowadays for sure. People that have like e that extra coordination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just think it took like a little bit, I don't know, I feel like I faced a little bit of a feeling that I didn't really look like a regular distance runner for my whole career up to that point. I didn't feel like I was really strong, but maybe not as lithy as a lot of my counterparts. And, you know, um, for the most part, that was fine. But sometimes that was a little bit challenging for me. And looking at steeplers as sort of stronger um, and just, I don't know, tougher, kind of felt like I had found my home a little bit. So you mean you felt like your build was like more an, of an athletic build? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I would be lying if I said that I didn't hear all the different thoughts of my mm. quads or my legs being not as skinny as other people's mm. legs <laughs> and things like that, which um, I don't think I ever really thought about or I never thought of myself as like not really tiny. I was still a tiny runner, but yeah. I um, I recognized that I just like didn't look exactly like everyone else on the line at a cross country meet all the time. Um, and I thought that that, you know, there were good parts about that, but also obviously frustrations when you're doing all the same workouts and doing all the same things and you just are never going to look the same as everyone around you. How do you think you've um, come to like an okay place with that specifically? Honestly, I'm, I feel like obviously pro running existed before my time, but you know, with the world of like, um, you know, flow track and mm -hmm. the internet and being able to see photos of pro runners and the like accessibility maybe more to the post-collegiate um, career paths of runners. Like you just see that the women that make it 
don't <laughs> look like that. Um, the women that make it are super strong, um, and they are talented at a ver- variety of events, and they do sort of have these backgrounds. And I think for me, it was this ability to look up and see like the type of person in the end you want to be, not necessarily your peers or the people next to you, but the long the long game of running. Um, what do those people look like? What are they doing? And I don't I don't know that that was excess accessible to me at the beginning of my career in a way that it really was by the time I was in, you know, toward the end of my college, um, career. And now it's, you know, it's probably both good and bad, but you can just look at your sort of heroes on, on so many platforms now. And of course that probably adds like pressure for some athletes, but it also enables you to see, I think like role models that are really healthy, um, and inspiring and kind of multifaceted in a way that, you know, just your teenage mind doesn't always see if you were just looking around you, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's what it's the kind of thing where it's like, what would I tell my 15 year old, 18 year old, 22 year old self? Because you're growing up as you're growing in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so your thoughts are less mature as well. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you just, you, you don't, you process things differently as you get older. And so what would you tell yourself now that you've experienced all this and you've, you've witnessed so much more and you kind of can look back, what would you tell yourself that 20 year old on the starting line? That's a hard question. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I mean, I think mostly just this idea that, I mean, looking back now, like it's this body that gave me a 20, 25 year career in running, um, and health and, um, lasting power. And that had everything to do with the positive decisions, not the deteriorating or negative decisions that you make along the way. Um, and it has so much to do with kind of honing in on the vessel you have rather than sort of looking for a way to change that. And so I think that 20-year-old me might have been immature, but, like, I do think that that person also understood, like, the numbers don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it was working, and you just had to believe that, like, it wasn't about making yourself fit into a different compartment to maybe make it work better. It was about finding a way to make, like, that machine work as best as it could. Um, And I think that um, I, I would just have reminded that, girl that life in the world is a lot bigger than the microcosm of distance running that you're a part of um and just look around and realize you know you're being a little bit silly mm-hmm. <laughs> about what you see when um you know in the grand scheme of things you're still like shopping in the size zero to four <laughs> department <laughs> of, of the store um you know those are like the universal sizes we've created so um just kind of I don't know. I think that every time I was steered in a direction that was really deteriorating or negative for me, and it, you know, I'm very thankful I had like a community of people that kept that to a minimum, but there were just like, for every moment like that, there was the moment of understanding like of what you had to lose by um, starting to go down that path. And I think running always brought me back to like wanting to have running more than more than honestly success or more than anything is wanting to have this thing that I could have my whole life and not ever kind of jeopardizing that. So I think a long winded way of saying, like, I think I'd like to tell the 20 year old kind of what she knew all along and remind her, like, you know, 
at 31, I am still, well, we're starting to kind of wane away from very competitive running, but um, Mm -hmm. at 31, I'm able to still kind of get out and do the workouts I was able to do at 20 because I, you know, believed in the body I had and um, that that one honestly kept me much healthier than a lot of my sort of friends and counterparts as bodies did. Yeah, you mentioned kind of steering away from running as competitively. I think that that's a good topic to bring up, especially in what's going on right now, because, (laughs) you know, like there are a a good amount of pro runners that do listen to this podcast, but the good majority are people that are disappointed because they had a fall race they'd been trained or sorry, a spring race they've been training for. And it's like, I caught that what you said earlier. It's like, that running is just a small part of life and who you are and what you do. And, um, you're someone who's experienced competing at a very high level and then kind of walking away a little bit and then kind of coming back a little bit (laughs) and walking away a little bit. So talk about how you handle those emotions. Like what's going on right now? Uh, so, I just got off of, you know, running at the Olympic trials and the marathon, (laughs) which was, I recognize maybe not, you know, everybody else's version of kind of just like retiring from running. I, you know, I totally get that. And I realize that's a huge goal for people. And it was a huge goal for me. Um, But I think that I'm sort of coming off of that race and I didn't really have another race on the calendar and I was going to kind of reset and figure out um, what kind of goal I wanted next for me from there. But it has sort of put me in this place that I was in about four years ago after the trials in 2016 when I knew I was going to start, you know, working full time and doing things like that. Um, And I think, you know, it's hard it, it was harder than I ever thought it would be to stop running professionally. Um, I always planned on it at the time that I did it. I, I had a job lined up. Like I did everything in my power to make sure that I didn't, you know, do it for too long or grow to resent it. Um, and it still was the hardest thing um, that I've had to adjust to in my life. And I think that that comes so much from pride than it does from really what I was losing. Um, You know, I wake up and have sort of those lifestyle things ingrained in me that I had when I was a pro runner, like getting up and eating the same breakfast every day or having the right amount of nutrition or getting the run in um, when I'm really busy and all these things that are the same and it just, the end result is different and, and, and the, the sort of, fame of it is different because um, it's just the promises that you have to make to yourself every day rather than sort of, you know, people who are rooting for you or the Instagram story you're going to be a part of or the followers you have um, and kind of the glory of it. Um, so for a little while, I thought I wouldn't want to ever race again because <laughs> I could never get possibly get to where I was at um, before I decided to sort of move in a different direction. But that really quickly changed and I really quickly just wanted to find sort of new commitments or new goals for myself um, because the running was still there and the running was still there with my closest friends. I have my closest friends that are still running professionally. I have really great friends who have moved on like me and all of them still love running and all of them still like running with me, even if I'm slower. (laughs) Um, 
and you know those people's sort of the joy that is all of those friendships have a lot to do with a shared passion but have more to do with all that time that we had an opportunity to get to know one another and I think I just I really quickly realized I mean my husband was a runner um we obviously share that and I just, I didn't want to lose that. I mean, that's what I loved about it all along. I mean, I liked competing and I liked seeing what I could do, but what I like loved is running. Um, and that's just not something you have to lose along the way. Um, what you do have to maybe lose is a little bit of, um, pride (laughs) or humility. Um, but, um, I'm really thankful I've had like people around to kind of soften that blow. Um, and I've also had a lot of people around to make me realize that that's, you know, thankfully not what they were supporting and rooting in rooting for me about either. They weren't rooting for me because I was in 428 shape in the mile or going to make the team in the steeple. They were just rooting for me and really happy I got a chance to celebrate or, you know, focus on a goal like that. Um, and when you realize, like, hopefully that the people in your corner were there for you and not for some goal. Um, it makes it really easy to kind of continue doing the thing that brought you all those people without having to worry so much about the goal anymore. Yeah. It's gotta be a tough transition. This was your third Olympic trials though. Yeah. (laughs) 2012, 2016, you did the steeple and then you did the trials this past year. And in 2012, getting fourth in the trials talk about that experience and moving on and focusing on what was to come while I know you also had in mind that you wanted to go to law school and you know it's like Mm -hmm. big goals in so many different areas talk about that time in your life yeah so it's kind of it is just so funny to look back on it now because then it was just the life but now it's sort of you know, a little bit of a funny story. Um, (laughs) But during that time, um, in 2011, I graduated Princeton. And I really honestly didn't really think of myself as someone who would be able to run professionally. I didn't know about any professional opportunities um, until I spoke with a local um, agent from my area. I mean, he was an agent, but he just happened to be a guy that I like grew up knowing because he went to the high school meets that was in my neighborhood and my community. <laughs> um, and he kind of called and explained the big, bad, bad world of like agents and pro running and made me realize that that was maybe possible for me. Um, and even then I didn't really know that I believed him. Um, and then I met gag, um, gags was back in New Jersey at that time for, I think he'd maybe been back two years. Um, he had moved back to New York from Oregon where he was coaching the farm team, um, for family reasons. Um, his, uh, daughter-in-law had passed away suddenly. So, you know, family, family is like critical to him and he wanted to come back and support his son. Um, and also, you know, he wanted to keep his passion alive with coaching. So he started coaching, at the time, I think it started with just Aaron Donahue. And from there, um, I think it was two or three athletes. Then suddenly it ballooned, as it always does for gags, into like 30 athletes. Um, and I met with him in my hometown where I used to like be a waitress at the restaurant I was a waitress at. And he just sort of didn't, you know, know me from Adam. It's not like he knew anything about me or my times or he didn't like meticulously recruit at that time at all. 
Um, but he just kind of had a conversation with me and heard me out and heard that I wanted to just see what I could do for a year since it was 2012 it was an Olympic year. And I just kind of wanted to see what was possible. And he said, okay, let's go. Um, and so I spent the year with Gags's group in New Jersey, trained with them. My main training partners were Julie Cully, who became an Olympian that year, and Delilah DiCascenzo, who was, you know, a favorite in the steeple at that time, um, had just made the world team, um, and a bunch of other people as well. Kate Grace, uh, who's now an Olympian and training in Oregon. Uh, and we kind of just sort of in some ways started with this ragtag team um, and we're training together and it just, it worked so well for me. I PR'd, I think in literally every race I ran for gag in my first year with him, um, like sequentially, like not just by the end of the year, I had a PR, like every single time I got on the line, it was a PR and I just fell in love with the world of track in a way that I don't know that I realized existed at Princeton, it was important to me and I loved it, but it wasn't kind of my world. Uh, I didn't really know about the world of running and I just fell in love with it. Um, and during all that time, I had applied to law schools and deferred at Colorado. Uh, I was going to go out there and start school right away after 2012. I kind of just wanted to give it a year, see what happened. Um, and so I came in fourth at the trials <laughs> and uh, Gag was surprised, I think. Um, I was surprised, I think. And uh, then I sort of packed my staff that summer after a trip to Europe and racing in Europe um, and told everybody, see ya. <laughs> and Gag and I had a lunch with Tommy Nohilly, my uh, steeple coach at um, Coogan's in New York, which is right by the armory, right before I left. And he was just sort of mad and kind of like, all right, you know, I love you, but you shouldn't be leaving. Like, mm. I don't really understand. Um, and so that hit me. And then I uh, drove out to Michigan to run the Shea Mile with my, um, with Liam, my husband, who at the time was a friend and a teammate. We were both just racing. Um, and we drove out to Michigan and I was staying with a host family on the 4th of July. And I watched the opening ceremonies the day before my, you know, mile race in Michigan. And I watched and sort of saw all these people I knew uh, walking in at the opening ceremonies. And I just kind of, my heart sort of dropped and <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing, but I emailed the dean at um, Rutgers Law School and I had gotten into Rutgers Law School, but I decided not to go there at that time when I was going to go to Colorado. Um, and I emailed him and sort of explained the same story I explained to you guys <laughs> and um, kind of begged him to consider my application again. And if there was any room given I'd been accepted, if I could, you know, sort of uh, take back my <laughs> acceptance. And he emailed me and said, you know, you're lucky that I was once a runner. Um, so I like, I understand your passion uh, and like kind of sit tight and give me a couple weeks to see if, or a couple days to see if I've got space. And so I said, okay. Um, and sat tight in the middle of the country uh, <laughs> with Liam's family and my best friend, um, 
one of my best friend from college's uh, family is in Indiana. And I um, waited and he found a space for me and I turned the car around, got an apartment, started classes, started training with gun with gag, like all within literally three or four days. <laughs> so um, total reversion of everything I was expecting and started training with gags under this new schedule. And he, he, ex- he was totally supportive. Um, he understood my first year of law school would be really tough and I wouldn't be able to make as many practices. And he worked with me on that and it, we just made it work. Um, and by the end of 2013, I made the world team. So it was like sort of this kind of Cinderella story a little bit for me. Um, and yeah, it was kind of more than I ever could have imagined it could become for me. So it, you know, that year changed my, the entire trajectory of my life. Um, turned the car around, stayed in Jersey, which would be a better story if I was still there, but now we're in Michigan. <laughs> um, met a boy from Michigan and I guess eventually married him. So, um, yeah, it just, it changed everything and kind of foundationally changed who my sort of zone of like trust and support was going to be for the rest of my life. So, yeah, I'm really thankful for that that year and that time to focus, you know, focus my goals for a while, certainly, but like refocus what it meant to be successful just holistically. It's like to be around the people that like bring you up. Um, and I don't know, it helped in school to have running. It helped in running to have school um, and just mostly to have family and friends around me to make all of it possible. So when you said you fell in love with track in a way that you never had before, was mm-hmm. it the people? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely have my people from, you know, Princeton track and high school track. So it's, it, it's not so much the people. I think that the people repeatedly have helped me, um, along the way. I just, I think I always put the people in the backdrop of like life. Mm. So it was the backdrop of my major or like we were doing midterms together or we also, you know, went out together and um, had a college experience. Whereas this was like only running and a bunch of us literally lived out in the middle of nowhere to just train and mm. you just get to know one another. And I think it, I fell in love with the commitment that so many, you know, bright successful people put into like I mean let's face it making basically no money Mm -hmm. to sort of follow a dream that for many of us will like you know not be the dream we set out to initially have I mean a lot of us are going to fall just short of those dreams and um it just I think that that sacrifice and that commitment into something sort of bigger than you it it um it just changes you forever a little bit, even when you move on and do have careers and kind of do jump into the world that you may be put on hold for a little bit. I think it just gives you a mindset you never had before. And I think watching a bunch of people do that together and commit to something like that together was, I don't know, it just kind of really switched my mind about what it meant to be giving that a shot. Yeah, I love that, giving that a shot, because you said pursuing this dream that a lot of people will fall short of like there's only so many people that are going to be three-time olympians and (laughs) american record holders and um but like you you got to give it a shot yeah absolutely and i think that you know that that shot isn't lost because you don't become that person Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um so i think like you know i 
didn't get a chance to make an Olympic team, but made world teams and, you know, competed at the international stage and won medals on international competitions. And I think like all in all, it was pretty darn successful, but certainly still fell short of what I imagined it could be. (laughs) Um, But I don't, I don't know that other people really look at it quite that way. Um, And so, and I, I certainly don't now that it's maybe a little past where I'm not in it anymore. And I certainly looking back on it, I'm so thankful for all the successes I did get. Um, and just like wouldn't have taken back any of the experience for a different result. I don't think. That's refreshing to hear. Good. (laughs) It is because it's like (laughs) you, you like look at these other people's careers and this is in, in any sport or any profession and you like you want to you want to achieve the best you can possibly achieve and if you don't put yourself in a place to even try you don't know what would have happened and you can't regret the things that you did or didn't do so like why not just try and also I think like to try on your own terms you know like um you were in school Yeah, which, I mean, a bunch of people are, but I think people thought that was sort of crazy when I was doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I don't know. I just think, could it have worked better for me to just commit it to running and maybe been at altitude half the year and things like that? Like, it certainly helps a lot of people and maybe it would have made me better, but I just don't know that it would have. I think Gag and I, Gags and I worked perfectly together because he created a group of people like on the premise that he needed to be home with Mm. the people he loved the most. And so for me to be home where my family was and with him, like it didn't matter that there was a foot of snow on the ground. Like it didn't matter that it wasn't ideal conditions. Um, I just like needed people who supported like who I wanted to be. And I think that did make me more successful, Um, you know, and if that more successful level wasn't a three-time Olympian, that's okay. I don't necessarily think something more I could have done would have gotten me there. Um, Cause like my, at least for me, I don't know about for every athlete, like my heart was a way bigger part of where the success came from. And so I needed to be around people that kind of helped, um, I don't know, cultivate that. Yeah, so Gags is a coach that has been mentioned quite a few times on this podcast, and <laughs> I think he's someone that is held in a very high regard in the sport of running, obviously. And um, I would just love to hear you share like a couple of things you learned from him. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the best way to explain like how much I respect and love gag is like just hoping that like when he thinks back on all the athletes he's impacted and how many successes he's had like the idea that I even like am someone in the Rolodex of things he has to think about in his mind and like I'm remembered at all is like one of the biggest honors of my life um you know there are so many people I pale in comparison to that he has mentored um and helped to achieve like great heights in running, but also just in life. And so, I mean, that's not learning from him. That's just more like 
it's a complete honor to think he even does remember to send me a Christmas card or ask how my family's doing. Um, but I think for me, he just sort of embodies the like, keep it simple, stupid <laughs> idea in a way that um, I need to really remember. Um, I think I'm just someone who works hard and I don't know. I mean, obviously in some ways I've been lucky and gotten great opportunities, but I think I have gotten a lot further just by sort of putting my nose down and being a grinder. And he's sort of like the grinders coach. Um, he's not a finesse guy and he's not gonna, um, have these like perfect detailed ideas. He's just going to have a general <laughs> scrabbled piece of yellow lined paper. Um, but that, you know, kind of having just like a skeleton of an idea and a lot of heart really can get you really far. Um, and I think that's been something I've needed just in life, in law school and in careers, in realizing like not knowing some silly little specific part of a court rule is not going to make or break my career. It's about, you know, being good to people, trusting your gut. Um, and I think that that's the other big thing is, with Gag, I mean, like, you're his family. And the minute you need something, like, he's there. Um, the amount of times I've watched Gag cry just watching someone else struggle um, or or really feel what someone else is experiencing is just incredible. Um, and I just think that, you know, he's got a rough out outer exterior or whatever, but watching someone just melt that way about the people they love is critical. I think it's really easy to forget to do that for the people that you love because um, they're there for you. But he never like puts those people's needs second. And those people's needs are so many people for him. Yeah. So, um, and I just think, yeah, it's his like impression on me is certainly like one that will last a lifetime. So, um, and it, you know, in so many ways has nothing to do at all with, <laughs> with running mm -hmm. and everything to do with like the fact that at least in my stage of my career with, or in Gags' stage of his career, I was an athlete later in that career. And he, you know, had to like drive two and a half, three hours, both ways, two to three days a week to train me at, you know, I like we celebrated his 80th birthday um, and he's got grandkids and family and things to worry about. And he worried about us. Um, so I just, I don't know. I'm like forever indebted to that kind of sort of graciousness. Um, I wish I was punchier, but I just think that it's like sort of impossible to like really explain how much he matters it's a gift, you know, when, when you hear people talk about someone like that, it's, it's a gift that he has to make people feel important. It sounds like. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, it's incredible. <laughs> hey everybody. I'm going to take a quick break and thank a sponsor for this episode. And that is Defunkify my favorite liquid laundry detergent. They also have odor remover spray, stain remover spray. This stuff works and it gets the stink out. You know, some of your favorite running shirts, sports bras, whatever they may be, have that stench that just doesn't go away. Well, Defunkify will help get that out. Defunkify is bio-based and scented with essential oils 
They crush odor, smell amazing, and they are proven safe, EPA, safer choice certified. Now you all can save 25% off your first order with Defunkify when you go to defunkify.com and use the code another at checkout. That's defunkify.com and use the code another for 25% off your first order with them. Definitely check it out. It works. I've gotten so many stains out of my carpet and my couch as well. And I am doing load after load of stinky clothes using Defunkify detergent. That's defunkify.com and use the code ANOTHER to get 25% off your first order. All right, friends, another way you can support the show is by heading over to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine, where I'm providing bonus episodes over there for Patreon supporters. There are two episodes with my husband, Glenn, and one with Lauren Flores, where we talk all about the Rambling Runner virtual race series. We all just completed the 5K, and we've got the 10K coming up this weekend. Lots of casual, unedited conversations over there. And again, you can go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine for as little as 3 or $5 a month. Your support to the show gets you those bonus episodes. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Ashley Higginson. Well, let's talk about deciding to run a marathon and running a 243 <laughs> and qualifying for the trial. I love sure. how I ran it with your husband. Yeah. I don't know if he loved that, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) What did he not love about it? Um, I think he really, he was wonderful throughout the whole thing. Um, but race day is a little tough. I felt terrible and Mm. I think I was a little grouchy and I, I put a lot on him to get me there. So, um, yeah, I think I get really a little, snippy if he one steps me um in a way that perhaps I wouldn't be with anybody else so (laughs) oh I have been there with my husband I understand (laughs) but it's not so much his fault he's not even particularly a one-stepper it's just I think he doesn't recognize how much better than me he feels to run the same pace and so that (laughs) but it was great um we kind of like set out to do a marathon like a ways before we did it. So like I ran the New York half, like maybe a year after I stopped running with gags and I had like a lot of injuries after that for a little while. Um, but that half kind of gave us this idea that maybe we should try to run the marathon. Um, and so we kind of put it on the calendar a ways out. And then when it was 16 weeks before we started training and originally I was training for Scranton marathon. Um, but then we decided to move to Michigan and I didn't like the pressure of traveling to a marathon cause I didn't know that I could do it. And I didn't want to like put the pressure of driving 10 hours to run a marathon. And so we just picked So then we picked Detroit, which is the biggest marathon around here. Um, and, and when we paid for that one, <laughs> we found out that you can't qualify at Detroit, which is the weirdest rule. Oh, I don't, it I don't really runs, know why. Is it cause it runs like in Canada? I have no idea why. I I don't know why exactly it isn't like it won't qualify you, but it's the free press, right? Yeah. So we didn't run that one. So we picked Grand Rapids, which is like honestly perfect. Um, You know, it just, it was really quiet. Um, It was just him and me. And it just felt like sort of another stone on like kind of this like journey we created. Like every workout was new. Um, My brother-in-law wrote my workouts and it just... It was very all in the family and um, it 
every workout was hard and every workout was like something I'd never <laughs> done before. <laughs> and, um, every long run was challenging. Um, and so I think I didn't know that I could do it. Like there, there's nothing about marathon training that I believe helps you to believe you're ready to do something because you don't in fact do it until right. the day comes. <laughs> and so I, I just think it was unlike any other type of training I've ever done. And it really humbled me a lot. <laughs> um, so getting there and like getting it done, I didn't believe I could do it till like, I think like maybe when we hit 20, I thought like, wow, we like could actually hit the pace. And then like, I still, was nervous. And then at two miles to go, Liam's like, we're going to do it. And I'm like, don't speed up. <laughs> mm. Even at like a half a mile to go, I was like, we're not kicking. Um, but at the end I like realized I want to do it. And I don't know. I, I think putting like that goal out there was, I, I don't know. That was like one of the harder goals I've like put out for myself to in qualify. my career. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't think it was in my wheelhouse at all. And I just, um, was nervous by it. It's just this like behemoth of the thing, um, the marathon. And I just, I, I mean, honestly, I'm like bowing down to the people who make this their career. Cause mm. it was, it was just such a challenge. I mean, you can fake your way through some 800 repeats and you can kind of fake your way on a bad day through a lot of stuff, but you're not faking your way through a 20 miler on Saturday when you're not feeling good. It's just going to be terrible. So I just, I don't know. It definitely puts some hair on my chest for sure to train for a marathon. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy to hear you say that just because like you were fourth place at the Olympic trials in steeplechase and you've competed at such a high level on a world stage and, um, you know, to qualify for the Olympic trials was still intimidating to you. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> it, it definitely was. I mean, I think it was in part, it's the, it's the same as every other goal, right? It yeah. was my goal and like you could fall on your own sword. And I think I had a pretty, like in some ways a big sword to fall on uh -huh. by, by what you said, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to try to do this. And I used to do this and uh -huh. if I can't even do this, it's going to look pretty sad, but it just, I don't know. It was totally different. Um, and you know, it takes certainly years to be able to like perfect a mile race, but it just a completely different kind of mental pain to train for the marathon. And I just, I don't know. I mean, running a 20 miler at marathon pace and running a 20 miler just like around your neighborhood. It's like both of them are not that easy. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, yeah, it was really, really hard for me. Maybe I'm just not like endurance based, but I'm, I'm just so impressed by people that can keep training for those year after year. I, it's a whole different type of mental t toughness than, than track training in my, in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. 20 miles, no matter how you slice it, it's a long way to run. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so, so you did the 243, you qualified. Um, tell us what happened at the trials this year. Uh, so the trials did not go that great, <laughs> but, um, so I ran, I think I got to 18 in the end. Um, 
And without like making excuses, I definitely like had this really weird thing happen to my back on the way down. So like, I just, I never had had that, like my back kind of got pinched or tightened up really badly. So the night before I was a little bit low key, kind of freaking out that I wouldn't be able to race at all. Um, but we made it work, got some ibuprofen, hot baths and got to the line. Um, but you know, that was just an excruciatingly tough course and Mm -hmm. all those hills were hard. And I remember going every mile looking at the, I would, I looked at my watch like every mile thinking like, this is too fast. This is a really slow course. Why am I going so fast? (laughs) But everyone was doing that. I felt like everyone was going faster than they expected because it was like remarkable to like see everyone cheering. Um, and for like 13 or 10, I felt great. I like saw my husband. I saw my friends that were down there from New York and my friends that were down there from Michigan that came down um, and my parents. And it was like great. Liam was making fun of me. He's like, you're the only one out there. You were like blowing kisses. <laughs> and then, but then another loop came around and I wasn't feeling as good. Um, and at 13, it started to really hurt um, just to be not like aerobically, just like physically, I couldn't move my legs up the way I wanted. And 13 kind of gets you on that loop course to where it's the hilliest, which is sort of toward the end. And so having to go through that and knowing you had to go through it again, (laughs) by the time I um, got to like 15 or 16, I was like, okay, just get to 15 or 16, because that's where it goes sort of downhill. um, And where like a lot of people are cheering. So you'll feel better. And when I like, still didn't feel better and couldn't move my legs. I was like, it's time to end this experience on a high, on a high note and not a low note. (laughs) And so, yeah, so I didn't finish, which stinks a little bit. Um, it definitely stings. I had never not finished race in my life before that. Um, so that part stung. Um, and I think I always expected that like, I would literally have to be mopped off the floor with a broken leg to not finish, but I just couldn't move and I was enjoying my experience and I didn't want to not enjoy it. So I stopped before it was no longer enjoyable. So <laughs> um, looking back, how do you feel about it? I'm okay with it. I mean, yeah. looking back, I came home and had to take two, three weeks off. Like I was hurt. Like I, yeah. I didn't, I was actually hurt, you know, in the race, I didn't, I, I won't, I won't say that I stopped and thought like, oh my God, I broke my hip. Like I, I didn't think I was like horribly hurt, but when I got home, like I couldn't, my hamstring was like totally wrecked. My back was killing me. I couldn't run for three weeks. I'm still like hurting. So I'm like, okay, like you were a little injured. There's a reason your leg is kind of yeah, <laughs> but I can't, I can't pretend that like I absolutely knew that in the moment. Um, cause right. your adrenaline's running, but it does make sense that physically the body wasn't like operating. So I'm okay with that part. Um, I was, I was definitely laughing at sort of, I mean, some of my like mentors in the sport couldn't finish that race either. So I'm like, I'm at least in good company. Like some pretty like rock star people couldn't finish this course. So true. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not alone there. Um, and it was still, it was still worth it. Um, it was admittedly about getting there and I feel like that's what I got. I got mm-hmm. to be there. Um, so, you know, 
maybe maybe one day I'll focus on something more than just being there um, and focus on a new time or a faster time. But for now, I'm thinking that, you know, the half marathon is great and I don't need to ever run a marathon again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, though, do you want to, to do other marathons, though? Because you're kind of at this, like, really, I mean, I know that you aren't running professionally anymore already, but, like, you're really at this turning point where it's kind of like, um, okay, lawyer, full-time lawyer, <laughs> ran the marathon trials knowing that, like, you're, you know, you're not trying to, like, make the team in the marathon. Yeah. Now do you feel like you're in this spot where you're like, I'm just going to run for fun? Yeah, I I think I am. And I think it, it is in some ways scary because I think I already thought that after 2016. But the marathon was always sort of there as something I could try. Um, and trying to make your third trials is exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's just for fun now. Um, and, and it was really fun to train for the marathon. And I think then having, like, a second one so quickly – maybe made it not as fun uh, and I don't want it to not be fun. So we're sort of switching gears. I mean, we were going to run maybe like a half, just my sort of the girls I run with the women I run with here in, in my new neighborhood. Um, we were going to run a half this summer, but I think that it's already canceled. So um, I don't know what's next, but definitely sort of looking forward to, just like fun courses and fun like events to do with friends. Um, it's also sort of nice to like, I think I've always had something on the calendar as a way to keep me in check a little bit, mm-hmm. um, healthy habits and like just like a regimen. And I think it's also really important to like remember I, my, my one teammate, uh, Rebecca one time said this when we were on our two week break, she's like, you know, there just like comes a point during your break time when like, you should just not have donuts for breakfast. Cause like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> not because you're, you have a race coming up or not because X, Y, or Z it's like, you should just like running's a lifestyle. And yeah, I think, you know, circling something on the calendar makes that more real, but when you're just like forced to just do the right thing for your fitness and health um, because it's the right thing. It's kind of nice to be in check with that too. And it's sort of like a new challenge in some ways. So I, I like that part of just kind of figuring out what like health and fitness looks like for me. Um, I missed figuring out a career and things like that. Yeah. I imagine that is challenging when you've always had something on the calendar. So you always have these like external motivators, but in all reality, like it just feels good to, to eat healthy. Yeah. It's just like your body, you want your body to feel good every day, regardless of if you're training for something. Yeah, absolutely. And the same goes for like just running. I mean, I think it took me a really long time and it, it probably, I'm still probably not there of like, if I go out for a five mile run, that's like way more than most people do every day. And I still like, you know, my like classic run was always an hour, always eight miles forever. And, you know, even not always having the time for that hour run anymore is something like I'm still getting over, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with continuing an hour run if that's what you do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like just running five miles sometimes. Um, and I think that there is certainly a lesson to be learned in there of me just getting out for the run um, and not like sort of feeling guilty 
that I'm not, I don't know, sticking to the same plan as I used to or other things getting in the way or as long as you know you're not like making excuses that you don't want to be making for yourself, um, you got to need to accept that other stuff in your life is important too and you need to make room for all of it. Yeah, that's really good. I know I do love an hour run, but when times are feeling crazy, I always just tell myself, well, at least just go do 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. You don't have to do the whole hour, but I get what, like the hour always feels good. Um, It does. But I'm like, if you just do the 30 minutes, you'll at least feel better and you'll have more clarity in your brain. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm getting over that hump a little bit and, and mostly just like not feeling guilt about it. Like, I think that's pretty crazy. And I think a lot of people feel that way to this like deep seated guilt that you're not doing an hour or whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish it is, I've listened to other people on your podcast and I don't know. I, it is funny to be in a point in my career where I'm still, figuring things out for me. And I, I wish there was wisdom in that. And it's easy to look back and find wisdom in what you did. And, you know, it's always inspiring to like talk about my goals when they were associated with something like the Olympics. But um, it is like, I don't know, I, I like will admit being able to talk now is sort of a time where I'm more vulnerable than ever because I'm going to learn so much about me and I have learned so much about who I am through this like time of not having like a, a more easy definition of who I am. Um, and I think like, it's just like appreciated to, I don't know, be vulnerable about that, even if it's not, I guess, as naturally motivating as a, of a story. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Like you got to You are, I think it's good to say that, like, because it would be easy to put a Band-Aid on it and be like, it's fine. I don't need to do that anymore. Like, I don't need to feel guilty. But it's like, no, like we need to accept the feelings that we're having and know that that was your identity for so long and give yourself grace to like move into this new identity. And it's okay to feel a certain way about it because that's what you did for so long. And I think that people will probably be lying if they said they didn't, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, that's that's definitely... That's probably true. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, like, regardless of what phase different people that are listening, coming from different walks of life, life are entering into, it's like, you know, this the way you're talking about it is could be the same for someone that like just became a new mom. You know, it's just like you have to accept that your reality is different now, and I think that that's a really hard thing to do. So, um, you're doing it, and you are giving yourself grace and. I hope you are at least. <laughs> Thank you. I'll I'll take it. I'll take all I can get. <laughs> yeah. Um I wanted to hear real quick about your husband's work and his magazine. Oh yeah. Um so Liam is a journalist, of course. Um and he created Lope magazine about a year and a half ago now. Wow. Um and basically his vision was so I guess backing up more with Liam, he um worked at runners well running times before running times kind of became defunct um and runners world for quite some time when we lived out in uh new jersey when i was still training um and he was kind of slowly moving away from training with gags uh, and he worked for them there for some time and then moved away from that to do just a little bit more marketing stuff um and sort of 
missed journalism during that time and did freelance work, uh, but then found that without running times, especially, which he really loved writing for them, uh, there was sort of a hole for just sort of long form, real stories uh, in running. And he, you know, loves running. So it's a fun place for him to have a little bit of his own um, space. Um, And so he kind of saw how much he loved stories like in the athletic um, and other kind of subscription-based long-form platforms for other sports and tried to mimic that here. Um, so he tries to write, for now, a story a month that's like really well-researched uh, and organized and uh, just kind of bring different perspectives to running, both like historically, like bringing history in, um, and then just like sort of demographically he wants to try at least to write stories from different voices and maybe not the same voice um that we always see or hear in running um and he just wants to like really do a deep dive into those stories and i think find like the universe universal components to running for people that sort of subscribe and read his stuff so um it's been a a passion project for sure uh i've Mm -hmm. been known to be the person to like wrap (laughs) his um hurry slowly book in um our butcher paper from our kitchen and i'm the one who addresses them um and you know he's kind of i think maybe broken even but, but basically just lost money doing it but um he loves it and he wants there to be like a space for stories and so you know he's sort of I don't know. He's more of a martyr than I am about that. And I really like, I'm just sort of amazed at kind of this like space he has where he's so creative. Cause I, I mean, I, I, I love him. He's my husband, but I feel like that's the side of him that I know the same way as everyone else. Like I just read his stories when they're published, unless he happens to ask for a revision or something. And I, I don't know, it's like you meet this whole new character when you meet a writer. So it's, been as much a joy for me as other people who like reading his stuff I don't think I have an insider baseball about any of it (laughs) yeah so when he so you subscribe 20 bucks a month and you get access to the monthly articles online tell me about like is it a yearly book that gets mailed out what does that look like yeah so it's just 20 dollars period it's not per month I think it's just 20 bucks I thought it was for the year for the year right yeah for the year okay um and it's Right, he would certainly love for it to be more stories, but right now he he promises that if he's going to pay people to help him out, he wants to like be able to pay them um, well because that's one of his biggest gripes with journalism. Right, is yeah. like you can't even make a living in it. Um, totally. So he's trying to be able to have money to help have writers help him, um, but uh, that's you know easier said than done. So right now it's just with his other full time job become about a one once per month long form story. Um, and so at the end of the year this year, uh, he compiled like a book of all those stories to sell during like the holidays and stuff. Um, but then, you know, new stories will be coming out monthly again, um, for this year. And I don't, I don't know if he'll do a book a year or not. Um, I think he should, I think people, I still like having a hard, hard, like a book, a real physical thing. Um, and I think it's great to have them all together, uh, cause it's not, you know, it's usually just like stories you can enjoy over and over again. It's not like a news source or a space where you're like getting up-to-date news. Um, so I don't know that you need to read it in, ta- in time. So I think the book was a great uh, additional idea, and I think he will do that annually. But um, yeah, 
if you subscribe, there's kind of a story a month and other little stories and little thoughts that he does along the way. Uh, right now, I think he has a lot of stuff just open, given everyone's at home <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> um, to read and enjoy. So certainly take a look at it now and see what's unlocked if anyone's interested and see if you want to subscribe. But I couldn't recommend it more, but I'll admit I'm a little biased. <laughs> well, I think it's really cool. And I, well, I, I also think like mad props and respect for him doing it as a labor of love right now. I mean, I think that people have gotten so used to getting free content. Yeah. You know, and it's like, man, go support your favorite writer, your favorite podcaster, your favorite person that is bringing you content because it is a lot of work regardless of what they're doing. And you're getting yeah. it for free most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for him, he's trying to like balance that with just like not getting a lot of ads or anything like that. So the yeah. pay, the subscription payment is sort of like f with the promise of like not having advertisements or um, things like that. But yeah, I mean, certainly support him and know that he puts every single dime <laughs> right back into <laughs> Lope. So anybody's support will just make it better. Um, but Does yeah. Does he do any I mean, sponsors? So when we first opened up the site, uh, we talked about it and he did ask for people to like, like he did, um, I'm forgetting the word, but like an initial like round of, I guess, funding or like support me funding. Mm -hmm. And a few people did support him then. I know that was all like provided him. Oh, as with, a sponsorship. Yeah. With just like, um, like a, I forget, he like labeled it as like, if you give X, um, we'll like m make a story like sponsored by you. And so oh, cool. his vision of sponsorship will just be like, it'll just be forward facing like that. This is brought to you by X. So if, you know, New Balance or, or Wazelle, or I, I admittedly, I'm not remembering exactly who has and hasn't supported him or like Tra Tracksmith, for instance, um, Tracksmith and Liam, like, partnered on a story about a Japanese marathoner and it was like in Tracksmith's quarterly um, sort of like book that they create at their store. Um, but then he also posted it. So it's like his writing. Um, but Tra Tracksmith was like creating, you know, um, like a Japanese kit for the Jap Japan marathon. Um, and I think that they partnered and talked about how like a, like what a good story would be that just sort of like reflects what they were both looking to capture. Um, so things like that, but he doesn't want there to be just sort of like ads in his, in his, um, site. And that's what he's hoping to provide by like providing subscriptions. Yeah, that's really good. I think the other, I think that more people might move towards that model as well. And, um, you know, I always think about Allison Wade's fast, fast women newsletter and I'm mm -hmm. like, people need to be paying for that newsletter because she puts so much work into it and she does have a Patreon page, which I do support. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a hard, it's a hard, uh, business path to navigate, like which way, to, which way to go, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's awesome. That's, that's awesome that he's doing that. And I'm definitely planning to check it out myself. Thank you. Well, he really, I can say for him, he really appreciates it and I really appreciate it, but I just, um, I'm just lucky to I don't know. I like can't stress enough how great of a job he's like independently done. Um, and I'm happy to help when he asks, but it has been like 
totally his thing. It's been really awesome to watch. Yeah, and twenty dollars for the whole year is if you if you are passionate about the world of running and sports, that's really not a lot to pay for some good one good story once a month. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Ashley. Well, let's wrap up with some into the podcast questions. Okay. How's your dog doing? My dog's great. I haven't heard him since <laughs> we started, either. so that's good. Yeah. Dun- is it Duncan? <laughs> yeah. So his name's Tim Duncan. Uh, he's named after a, <gasps> oh my gosh. a basketball player, but um, but we call him Dunks. So, yeah. I love that he has a full name. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's So Tim Duncan's from the San Antonio Spurs. He's like a um, hall of famer from there. And he is called the big fundamental, which is like what dunks is. He's like a big sort of lazy, silly and dumb, like golden retriever. So he's our big fundamental. It's pretty funny. Our dog is, I think she's like 11 or 12 now. And I don't know, like when she dies, I know that sounds sad to talk about, but it's probably going to happen in the next like four or five years. Um, she has been, she's a great dog with kids, but like, it's definitely an extra layer of chaos when you have like all these crazy kids running around and then the dog's like in the middle of it. You're just like, oh, <laughs> um, that being said, we love her and she's amazing. But I'm like, we might take like a, a year or two break from dogs after she dies. Yeah. Um, but I am 100% going to give my next dog a full name. Oh yeah. It's it's really great. They deserve it. They have like a whole personality wrapped up in it usually. Yeah. Cause we just have cadence cadence. I never thought about giving her two na- a full name and I never thought about giving her like, also I want to give my next dog a, a human name like Bob or something like that. <laughs> so although cadence is a very good name. I yeah, like it is a, a good name. Yeah, for sure. Um, but okay, well here I am planning out my next dog's life and my my current dog still has a good four or five years left so um we hope all right ashley let's wrap up here what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet um so personally i would like to go to asia i've never been to asia professionally um I, without getting fired, I know I, I would, um, I would really like to work for like an athletic department, whether it's like as their lawyer or at an athletic department. So for me professionally, I think it'd be a huge goal to, you know, like be an athletic director or work in an athletic department in that manner, or just be like the title nine coordinator, the title nine lawyer for an athletic department. So, um, yeah, I think sort of meshing law with athletics is a big goal for me. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I think, I mean, I know we talked so much about it, but I think it's really hard to sort of turn around inertia. So I think what we talked about today, um, I'm really proud that I made the decision to sort of serve what felt right and like what felt right in my heart, even though I had sort of like prearranged plans and I'm someone who kind of commits and like sticks to their commitments. So for me to like turn the car around and Michigan and on not really on a whim, but sort of on a whim, turn back um, and sort of start over in Jersey after I kind of committed to something in Colorado and law school is for me like hugely vulnerable and something I'm not really good at. Um, I kind of stay 
stay the pace, uh, walk the line. So I think that has made all the difference for me and something I'm really proud of looking back now, which is easy because it worked out. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really proud I had the sort of the balls to do it a little bit. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, it's kind of hard to know. Like, am I trusting my gut? How do I know that this is the right decision? And then you just go for it. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's helped a lot with learning how to trust your gut more than I used to realize maybe. That's awesome. Who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? I feel like I'm going to go with a totally, it's not lame, but one of my closest friends is Kate Grace, but she lives in Oregon now. We don't get to see each other as much. And I think of all my friends, she's the one who just kind of makes me pause um, and really think about my thoughts and like, I don't know, working and thinking and acting with intention, like intentionally. Um, and we just, I feel like our friendship for like five or eight years now has been like happy happening to see one another or making the time to see one another. And so it'd be really great if amidst the social distancing and everything like that, we could get a cocktail given her season is paused. <laughs> yeah. There's so many people. It, it makes you miss your friends so much more too. The fact that you not- <laughs> I know right now, I think I'd really just like a cocktail with all of my friends. <laughs> right? I know it's like, not that you'd be dropping everything and hopping on a flight to see her right now anyway, but it just makes you want to do that that much more because you can't. Yeah. But as far as like role model, I mean, certainly a huge role model for me consistently in the sport and in life has been Mary Wittenberg. So, I mean, she's totally my like female crush. So I'll give her props whenever I can. Um, she's just like phenomenal and just been such a huge support in lifting up runners and women's running. Um, and just personally, you know, has a story of like falling in love with running in the marathon while she's like in law school. So I just, I've been able to share kind of with her in like this path and I don't know, she's just been an awesome support to me and so many people. So I love hearing from her. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to have her on the podcast per your suggestion now. Oh, great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I don't know why I haven't anyway, but now I'm going to pursue it. <laughs> um, what is a nonprofit you like to support? Um, so Covenant House is um, probably my favorite nonprofit. They are um, throughout the country. I was one of the sort of like youth or like young professional people on a board in Jersey. And there's one in Detroit. So I should probably work on finding a way to help out in the Detroit one or the Flint one here. But um, it's it's just a um, organization for homeless youth. So there's homeless shelters um, and sort of like um, transitional housing for youth, which is sort of like anything, of course, youth under the age of 18, but up to like um, 21 and 25 that help support children that are homeless. Um, with, and it's sort of a no questions asked place to either spend a couple days if it's needed or be there for a longer term um, helps with kind of getting focused on getting to school or getting a job or finding a way to transition out of homelessness. Um, and last year I participated in my first uh, sleep out. And so basically what, what you do is try to raise money and it's one of their biggest fundraisers that they do. And um, I slept outside to sort of support its mission statement. Um, and I slept, they like provide you a cardboard box and a blanket, which is probably more than some youth have. Um, and we slept outside in Newark, which is, you know, a pretty rough city in Jersey and kind of just experienced what that feels like for one night, let alone many. Um, so it's kind of eye opening and 
uh, I don't know. It was just a, you know, great experience to kind of open your eyes to people's realities, especially at a time like this. Um, when, you know, all of us are stuck in our homes to realize how grateful, you know, we should be for them. So yeah, I'm, I'm super passionate about Covenant House and, uh, I don't know that what they do is incredible. They're really helping so many people. So yeah. I love it. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, I read three women recently. I will admit I like one of my closest friends here in East Lansing and my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my husband are very good readers. So I look like kind of like the loser because what I've been <laughs> focusing on are like the daily executive orders from the government. But um, <laughs> I um, I read Three Women, which was incredible. That's probably like this winter. Um, and it was really good. I really liked it. Is it fiction or nonfiction? No. So it's um, – she, the writer, I think like the way she started this was she was wanting to write a story about three like men in kind of like weird romantic like relationships, like affairs and this and that. And she said that they were all really boring because none of them like were interesting at all. They were all just like the same story. Mm. <laughs> so she turned to women and um, she just found like three women that she, I, I mean, without, I guess, ruining it. Hopefully, hopefully they don't epitomize what it means to like be a woman in sort of like love and in romance, but she kind of just takes a deep dive into three women's lives. Um, and just like from a romantic perspective, like some of them are married, some of them are dating, um, just kind of like learning about, about their lives and finding sort of love and I guess confidence in that. So it was really good. Every chapter is like goes back to one of the three women and I don't know, high recommend if you haven't gotten okay. to that yet. Okay. I will check that out. I love, I love getting new book recommendations on the show. Yeah, definitely like not a little dark, not, not always happy, but very good. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a good disclaimer to know. In these yeah. <laughs> people might need to know that because people might be looking for an escape. Yeah. In, in these great times. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, okay, Ashley, what's your one message to send to the world? Um, that's, I think, uh, I think just gratitude. I guess if I have any message, it's, you know, looking back and looking forward, I am just extremely gracious, uh, for the people who are in my life, life and the people who've given me opportunities, the people who've, you know, motivated me to work harder, uh, all those people. And they think, especially as I sit here um, for probably the next three weeks without mm. being able to leave my home, that um, I'm really lucky and a lot of people are a lot less lucky. And so trying to like find every day the best thing or the thing that made the day happy um, is worth it. I, I don't know. I try to do best thing, worst thing. And I think best thing as something to start around your day is one of the nicest most happy ways that you can realize how lucky you really are. So I guess try to find, especially amidst these quarantine days, mm -hmm. um, gratitude and, um, I don't know, the things that make it worth it and the people that make it worth it for you. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it too. Um, it's been great to chat with you. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the family. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for being here today. Appreciate you taking your time and spending your afternoon or morning, whatever time of day it is, with us over here. You can find Ashley. Thank you, Ashley, for coming on the podcast. 
You can find Ashley on Instagram. She's Ashley Higgs, H-I-G-Z. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 You can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine, and we have a group as well. And don't forget Twitter. It is strangely one of my favorite places to hang out. I'm Lindsay Hine over there. All right. I hope you are all having a great day today. I know there's lots of ups and downs right now. I keep having a great day and then a really crappy day and a good day and a crappy day, just up and down, up and down. And I think that it's just totally normal to be feeling that right now. I want to say thank you so much to all the essential workers out there, healthcare workers, delivery truck drivers, truck drivers, grocery store employees, bank employees, anybody out there that is getting it done while we stay safe at home. Thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart. All right. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.